Hiya, and welcome to another episode of The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy. You may be listening on Lisburn's 98 FM or on Bangor FM or on FM 105 in Downpatrick. Or maybe, maybe you're listening on the podcast because we're on iTunes as well and we're on Android. We're also on Audioboom. Oh dear, so many places, but just to keep it simple, just go to thejewelcase.johndarcy.com if you want to hear any of the old episodes. We've had loads of interesting guests over the past number of weeks. You know, we're over 25 episodes in. Plenty of musicians, artists, authors, football pundits, cheesemakers, skateboarders, wrestlers, everything. It's a smorgasbord on The Jewel Case. So uh, thejewelcase.johndarcy.com if you want to hear some of our past episodes. And tonight... We have a very special guest. It's Jack Hughes, a board game enthusiast, currently based in Belfast. He was away in Scotland for a while, but uh, his deep dark secret is that he actually went to school with me. Hi, Jack. How are you? Hello, John. I'm very well. (laughs) I'm very well. I've I've never been introduced as a board game enthusiast, and I'm I'm quite excited to be... uh, I'm ready to bear the title. <laughs> good, good. Um, that's your character that you're playing tonight. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because... We're actually LARPing at the minute. <laughs> John's John's in uh, full dwarf gear. He's uh, on his knees. Uh, he has a little goatee and uh, an axe on his back. He looks very, very handsome. Does anyone, if, if any listeners know what LARPing is, fair play to you. If you don't know what LARPing is, it's live action role playing. And um, just imagine a bunch of people dressed up like they're in Lord of the Rings, waving sticks that are meant to look like swords and batons and things like I was, that. I was amazed by it because I thought that LARPing would be people acting, you know, kind of like playing with each other, just basically like playing when you're a kid. You know? Yeah, grown like, up playtime. But it's it's actually got rules. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't know this. I thought you, you, you have to hit each other, but like in certain ways... And you have special foam weapons. I just, I went on a kind of what on earth. Did you do a deep dive on LARPing one day? I do it a lot when I procrastinate. Once I learned everything about why Michael Jackson became white. I know a lot well, about why Michael Jackson became white. That's a podcast for a different day. I exactly. Think. But let's. I'd like to go back to that someday. But the stick on the LARPing one time, I was in London and uh, I was visiting my good friend Kieran Logue, friend yeah. of the podcast. Yeah. And we were on a train back to his flat from I think where we we're in London Bridge Station, and I was standing looking at the big board of train times, and this guy steps up beside me, and he is dressed like a sort of cyberpunk elf thing with like a crazy box backpack on and all like bullet stuff along the side he was like a mashup of all these different fantasy tropes and I was really scared and then we got on the train and he ended up sitting beside us on the train too and he whipped out a tiny thinkpad laptop I then got up to leave and had a glance over on the screen and he was literally typing in like a matrix code. <laughs> no way! That's really unbelievable. Yeah, he was just next step level of, uh, of nerd. But Jack, tonight we're going to get next step level of nerd yeah, because exactly. you're going to talk about your board game enthusiasm and tell all our listeners about the golden age of board games that we're in. Yes, we are currently in a golden age of board games. And as I said... I have been in the Matrix, I've entered the Matrix, but I've also pulled John in. Jack gave me this proposal, we'll break down what is, I guess, board gaming that's a little bit more intricate than your your standard Connect Four, your buckaroo. Just to run through it, people know board games as, like you say, buckaroo, Operation, Monopoly, Cluedo... 
Oh, Cluedo's great. Cluedo is, <laughs> is that, a board game. expression says you do not like Cluedo. <laughs> but then maybe on the extremities, people might have heard of a board game called Risk. Yeah. That, funny uh, story about Risk. Oh, here uh, we go. I got Risk as a present when I was a child, but being an only child, there was no one really to play it with me apart from my granny. So she would play Risk with me. Two-player Risk. <laughs> it wasn't very good. Two-player Risk's really depressing because it's like a, a war of attrition. It's just like, I'm going to crush you and you're going to crush me. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of like dark. It didn't really teach us anything. But you know what? One day I was at my cousin's house. Mm. I hadn't played Risk in a while. Didn't, hadn't really thought about it. Got distracted. Move on to something else. But my cousin had a Risk board game mm. in their bedroom. I was like, oh, you have Risk. I have Risk too. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, your granny gave me that. <laughs> and then it, the, the, the cogs in my head were slowly turning and then a light bulb went off. That that, then, that might actually be my second-hand risk game in your bedroom. And then did you start screaming and, and punching the walls? No, and- I was... I'm, I'm quite a controlled... I'm not a very emotional person. I'm quite a controlled person. So I, I left it. And then I think I raised it a couple of weeks later. Uh, where's, where's that risk? Subtly. In a passive aggressive yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and since then, I've been telling everyone this story. I'm, I'm sorry, Granny. I, I know where you were coming from. It was a terrible activity for us to do. We enjoyed Boggle way more. It's Boggle. Still better. Is Boggle a board game? Boggle's a great board game. What about Connect Four then? What's your take on Connect Four? Connect Four is an absurdly simple board game. Mm-hmm. So Connect Four is like tic tac toe. You know, it's 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 like tic tac toe, but then it has the the dropping effect. So it basically you can't place a piece anywhere on the board. It has yeah. to go, it has to fall. It's incredibly simple. So therefore, the the depth that you can get out of it is incredibly low, shallow, shallow. Yeah. <laughs> but I encourage all types of play. Okay, shallow an and deep play. My kind of mission is to introduce people to board games that are maybe experiences that they haven't had before or new and interesting and exciting things that they'll sit and they'll laugh all night and yeah. and they'll learn things about their friends or they'll break the ice with new friends and, and mm. make friends for life. And I can definitely say that there is a board game for everyone. I was a bit shocked because in the lead up to setting up this interview, mm. I, I didn't realise quite what a board game evangelist Jack was. Jack suggested that we get a couple of friends together and we have a little board game night and we can play some of the games that he was going to talk about on the podcast, some of his favourite games like Avalon and Escape. So we did that. and So that was last weekend and we have some recordings from that night that I made. So there's some, I, I think I have to bleep out all the effing and blinding that happened, but... Um, <laughs> We actually ended up, we started, I think, playing at about eight, half eight, nine. Yeah, something like that. And we ended up playing until about 3 a.m. and no one had realised the time. It was extraordinary. When you play certain games like Risk or um, something like that, uh, you have a thing called downtime where you sit and you're waiting for someone to go and, and there's not much happening. But I really wanted to show John and our other friends who were all all new to board games, games that, that took away this downtime where they were constantly active. All the games that we played were games about conversation or games about trying to solve things together cooperatively. And because there was no downtime, it was like having a constant conversation. Yeah, I think that's the thing when you play a game of Monopoly 
which we'll probably get into because apparently Monopoly is actually one of the worst board games uh, categorically <laughs> in the I world. Would, I would say that, yes. Uh, uh, there's a lot of downtime in Monopoly because when each person takes their go, it takes a long time and everyone who's not playing gets a little bit bored. That's when people start checking the watches. That's when people start thinking, oh, did I leave the oven on or something? importantly, Monopoly is a game where you crush your opponent. Mm. Um, no one likes to be crushed. People don't really like to be totally crushed and defeated. And Yeah, and at least some people with a bad side. taste in their mouth. Yeah, it's just annoying. I'm, I mean, you know, we're all a bit competitive and we all love to win. And the best board games, it's even all the way and the everyone's fighting each other or, or developing something. And then just in the last minute, someone gets that and they push over the line. Yes. So everyone feels close. Everyone feels like they fought a good battle. And that's a great description actually, because the, the, the games of Monopoly that everyone remembers are, it, it, it comes really apparent when people are just not going to win and they're going to lose and they get put out really early and they get put out not only from the game but they get put out you know literally yeah, too. yeah, yeah. and uh, they're maybe wandering around the room making tea for everybody for the rest of the evening people have phobias of board games people yeah. hate 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 these memories of competitive dads competitive <laughs> middle children I'm not saying any names me um, <laughs> Well, we you know, play board games when we're children and that's when all of these strong emotional memories mm, are formed and then mm, maybe there's like a song that's playing in the background mm, and that sets off a trigger. Exactly. So, you know, yeah, a board game could be that trigger. We, we should have done trigger warnings for board games. <laughs> uh, so, Jack, before we get into all of this, tell us a little bit about yourself. You grew up in Belfast. You went to school around so South Belfast, Ormo area, and then you, you legged it off to study architecture yeah so i so in school i was always into art and, you and stuff like that and you organized like a film club i believe at oh those yeah, times. yeah yeah i was obsessed with film and still obsessed with film and photography and for a long time i was set to be a photographer but then i kind of uh, i did foundation and then a moment of disillusion uh drove me to abandon ideas of fine art and become an architect kind of out oh of the blue. right what was what was that catalyst Basically, I thought, um, I can't swear, can I now? No. Well, um, I thought art was a load of rubbish. <laughs> and um, oh, I Jack. thought it was kind of phony and maybe I'd read too much Catcher in the Rye. But I thought um, art was just, it, it wasn't it wasn't a kind of worthwhile thing for me to put my life to. I thought I wasn't really going to help. And I was young and wanted to change the world and... I just didn't think art was a good medium for that. And then I, I I went to an interview in the Glasgow School of Art to study photography and it was going really, really well. I, I, I asked the question, I said, you know, oh, were you going to get to do film work? And I was really into doing film and I'd, I'd made a lot of kind of uh, animations and stuff like that. Sure. And they said, oh no, not, not for another two years. So at that moment in that, in that room, I just said, it's probably not for me. And thanks. Oh, Jack. And I just, I just left. <laughs> um, and then I, I got into photography in Belfast, but I, I just, I needed to leave the city. And my only option was to either take a year out or go and study architecture in Glasgow. Yeah. Um, but actually, after I did the whole UCAS thing, because that happens in winter, after that, I went to a lecture in the art school in Belfast in York Street of an artist called Alfredo Haar. 
I think is how you pronounce the second okay. name. Like, uh, or maybe it's Jar, Alfredo Jar, like Nicholas Jar. Okay. And he gave one of the most inspiring lectures about how art can change the world. <laughs> and it was actually unbelievable. And I just, for a long time, I, I was, I was, uh, I really, really regretted my decision. But at the end of the day, I've learned and I've still, I still practice and I've become uh, very into sound art. That's another uh, Jack and John connection. Oh, uh, Jack. <laughs> um, because uh, John is an incredible sound artist. Oh, Let here. that be known. Please. Dr. John, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, you refer to the, the popular music artist, Dr. John, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I always continue to do my fine art practice in sound art and installation. And um, I participated in Household Festival. Um, yeah. The the years that it was on. Which That's was a, right, yeah. Absolutely brilliant, brilliant festival. And fair play to all those household lads. Yeah, shout out to all the household, well, the curators behind household mm. and all the people who opened their doors. I, I was actually chatting to Kira about this, mm. talking about why it couldn't sort of keep going in its form, but mm. about the amazing potentials for like alternative kinds of household Oh yeah, well, they worked so hard at organising that and I don't, you know, everyone kind of mourns the loss of it, but... Uh, I remember Kira said something that was really interesting. She said, if you continue something into a third year, people become complacent and expect it. Mm. And that's a really, really interesting thing because I did expect it. I, I just expected it and I expected to just, you know, go and have it. And maybe the third year is always the year where things run dry. Whereas household was a really great thing that the people who organized it have finished mm-hmm. and anyone can can step in and do a similar festival it's not a copyrighted idea for sure um in any way um i think that would be great if um the concept that they sort of generated and i'm sure things similar things happen in other cities mm, but the, in glasgow that, open house festival yeah that idea of the ormo opening its doors i think it's great i think it's really it was really important for that to happen in belfast in the teenies Mm. at this moment in time mm. because there's all this stuff about security in Belfast mm. um, all this crazy stuff with politics I think that festival said a lot about what the, the, the positive potential for the future of Belfast could be and also highlighting Ormer Road is a very special place in Belfast because Ormer Road is a mixed wealth and mixed politics Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there's obviously always been tension um, all, all across Belfast, but me growing up in the Armour Road, it feels to me a very progressive place in Belfast, and I really appreciate it for that. And household really shone um, as a example of people and the community kind of opening up. It galvanised, yeah, the artistic community in the city. Who a lot of them lived in 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 that area, but also others sort of swooped in and then exhibited in their friends' houses who lived mm-hmm. in that area. And yeah, maybe maybe it is a little thing to make people like you think twice about leaving again and yeah, you know, maybe totally, stay a little totally. bit longer. Um, but enough about household. Oh yeah, sorry, we got what distracted. goes on. Yeah, this this is a tangent podcast. So, but you're back in Belfast and you're practicing. In architecture now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I studied for six years in Glasgow. I lived for a year working in, in London and I uh, lived in Oslo for six months. I uh, had an adventure there studying. Um, 
and I now have my diploma in architecture. Um, Congratulations. And, and hasn't yes. the time flown, Jack? Oh my goodness. It's unbelievable. Are you starting to feel like an adult now? Mm, yes. Really? For very complex reasons. So. <laughs> it's Tinder, right? Um, <laughs> let's get back to the board games. This is why we're here. I mean, when I was a kid, oh God, I loved board games. Oh, Pokemon Monopoly? Whoa. Oh yeah, I have the Beatles Monopoly. Oh really? Yeah. Is that any good? It ha- it's great, if you're a Beatles fan, it's all yellow submarine based and the really lovely You have no idea what a big Beatles fan I am, John. It's my mastermind topic, I would say. Really? I am obsessed with the Beatles. Then we have to do another podcast after this, maybe? Great, Beatles. I'll get you back subject. in a month's time. I'll just rewatch the whole of the anthology you for it. You know what, there's a new Beatles documentary film, yep. I believe, directed by Ron Howard, yeah. uh, coming out soon. So maybe to celebrate that, I'll get you back on the chat Beatles. Great, can we go and see it? Oh, that would be good, wouldn't I think it? it's like next, it's, it opens like next week. Maybe I should get some Beatles trivia and we can Beatles trivia Oh my trivia God, great. Is there a Beatles trivial pursuit? Because that is the board game I really want. <gasps> that would be so great. Oh my God. I just, I love everything about the Beatles. They're so great. Even today, if Paul McCartney's speaking on anything, I'll listen to it. I have time for Paul. There's a lot of Paul haters around. I know. Why does everyone um, hate Paul? He's uh, the nicest man. He's just too corny. And you know what he did? He do wears the, his heart in his sleeve. He did the, do the dirt on Lennon because when they, Lennon was the one who wanted to break up, right? And Paul was all like, no, let's keep the band together. And then suddenly came out with like an ad for his solo album once he had it ready. And Lennon was absolutely raging that Paul oh, really? got sort of the, the initial Beatle go solo publicity. But uh, yeah, Lennon has his demons um, as well. So oh, of course. is there any Be- other Beatles board games that you're aware of? I'm I'm not sure. I'm sure it's a genre though. I mean, if 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 there's Beatles themed operation. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You you you're, you're trying to find Ringo's ring in his uh, belly button. <gasps> oh, that Jack great shout. I know. Perfect. I know. It, it, it's like the, the it's like the plot of help all over again. <laughs> well, I'm glad you clarified that yeah, exactly. for any listeners who were wondering if Ringo has a massive pinky ring is that he wears a He's got a lot ring. of rings, but the ring yeah. in help is like you know, a, a giant ring and they, I think they go to India at some they point. Do. It's, it's a, a very bit, strange film. Hard Day's one. Night is actually a good film though. Well, do you know what? I wish we had, a, I wish we had a, had the foresight to make this a, 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 a like a double-sided podcast and had like an A-side of board games and a B-side of the Beatles. Uh, that would have been great. But uh, we must, we must get back to a topic at hand. We'll maybe re-up on the Beatles some it's, other time. I could talk about it for hours don't don't start me on it. So when did you get into the board games? Because uh, I think m- most most people they, they they play them as kids and then they play the odd one for a laugh and maybe then they start playing a game when they have kids themselves. Um, but how did you how did you enter the matrix of the ones that aren't available in your general store? Well, just and actually, two second part of that question: Can you reassure our listeners that you're not bringing them the Games Workshop right now? Well, look. <laughs> Full disclosure, Down Patrick, Banger, and Lisburn. I'm a nerd. <laughs> and uh it's uh it's who I am and uh But being I, a nerd's so cool these days. Everyone's saying I'm a nerd. People are wearing nerd t shirts and they're not even nerds. Well I'm making a board game podcast right now. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I was, I, I, so I, I kind of was always into stuff and I had like kind of nerdy friends, but all my friends were like, played music and everything as well. It was kind of like 
we're half nerdy, half musicians, yeah. half arty it people. It goes hand in hand a lot of the time. Yeah, exactly. We're into all those kind of games and, and collectible stuff. And then I think when we were teenagers, we we played a lot of board games because, you know, we didn't... There's not like, much to do in Belfast yeah, exactly. if you're like underage. You can't go to public houses. Exactly. Or you have to spend loads of money going to the cinema or the, the bowling. And you can only really do that so many times before it gets dead boring. So I had a kind of group of friends that we all played board games and, and that was just a thing to do. And then whenever I went to uni, no one was interested in board games whatsoever and I didn't really have nerdy friends there or anything but when I went to London this my, my brother bought me a board game that is called Settlers of Catan oh I've heard of this one and Settlers of Catan is what I would say began the golden age of board gaming right Settlers of Catan is this game where you have a hexagonal map and it's uh, this kind of island and you're all kind of you're, it's almost as if you were settlers of Catan. Um, <laughs> but you go around the island trying to get resources and it's kind of like a territory control game. You're trying to claim bits of land and there's no fighting in it. Just really clever mechanics. Like it has a thing where on the board you, you roll dice to get resources and resources is how you win, right? So it's like money or whatever. Sure. On the board, there are all these numbers from 2 to 12. Under each number, there's a series of dots, and the dots go from 1 to 5. The dots are the probability of that number. If I roll like 100 times a dice, there's a 1 in 5 chance that I'll... I don't know what it is, right? But just say there's a one in five <laughs> yeah, there's, chance. There's of, a certain uh, there's a certain probability of you rolling a number. Exactly. So dice. in the board game... Anywhere where these are means that they're like the most bountiful lands. Oh. Right. And I, I didn't know anything about probability. But then it's just this way where you, you can see maths just, it just makes sense. And it turns from something that you don't understand. Oh, why is something happening in a board game? Oh, like the game of life. John was talking about it earlier and <laughs> apparently he's really good at it. The game of life is a game of chance and I was very good at it the last time I played it. I, I was losing the whole way through, had very little money, hardly any kids, but I came to the end and I ruled some really big moves, big high risk moves and I won. Whoa. A landslide. But yeah, the game of life is all random. Exactly. Random... You have a big spinner, 1 to 20. It makes you think you have some choice. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's called a, I think it's called a roll and move game. And a roll and move game, they're the worst board games. You think, think of snakes and ladders. Snakes and ladders, you could have snakes and ladders set up and you could just get a computer to play a computer and it would just roll all the things and someone would win. It, it, it doesn't doesn't involve any strategy whatsoever because all it is is just rolling a dice and moving forward and it doesn't elicit much uh, critical thinking yeah and there's no <laughs> there's no challenge there's nothing to engage you there's no there's no strategy there's no you know screwing someone over or getting that role that you needed that you know pushes you over the edge and you know in snakes and ladders you fall down you fall down the snake you're at the bottom. Someone else has climbed a ladder there at the top. They it just sounds win. like you've had some bad experiences with random actions and board games. John, I don't know if you know this, but I'm quite a competitive person. <laughs> Hence the subject matter, right? <laughs> 
But well, but that's another thing because there's an element of competition in board games. But one of the games that you introduced us to at our little board game party was actually a cooperative board game called Escape. Mm. Well, I'm fascinated by this cooperative board games. I'd never heard of this. Had you ever heard of a cooperative board game? Um, actually, now that you've mentioned it, all the games that I would be really familiar with are all basically two to four or five player competition games. Exactly. Guess who? Monopoly. There's no cooperation though. Yeah. Even charades, it's two teams against each other. Yeah. But this is something that I think where board games have learned a lot from computer games. Yes. So this is something that I'm really interested in. Um, I'm basically stealing a lot from a talk called The Golden Age of Board Games by a guy called Quentin Smith, who is an incredible board game journalist. They run a website called Shut Up and Sit Down, which is the best board game resource. And I would recommend anyone to go on Shut Up and Sit Down, look at their videos, look at their recommended, and you'll find hilarious videos, Mm -hmm. great podcasts, brilliant people, um, nerds who are the good guys, not the evil nerds, (laughs) not the nerds that kind of push you out the nerds that say, come in, come in and play with us. This is so much fun. Yes, uh, not not prescribing to the typical, oh, I prefer the earliest stuff. Oh, I, I was into this before everybody else. Yeah. Attitude. N- none of that. None of that um, putting others down. It's all about having fun and, you know, just having fun in a way that is is a bit different. Having a dinner party, having a board game, having a good night. And that's what we did uh, because you had made all this lovely food and I arrived uh, and I didn't have to make anything. That was fantastic. Well, John brought tapas. (laughs) I I brought tapas. (laughs) Tiny pass. And we set up the game for escape and you explained the rules and I'll try and re-explain now. Good, good. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, because this was my first time playing it. But basically escape is you start off with all these little square tiles separated and they eventually become built together to create a sort of temple map. And every player has their own little icon or little figure and you can explore through dice rolls the temple and the whole thing is to get rid of these little jewels and deposit them in different parts of the temple and then get out of there before the time runs out. And the cool part is that there's like an audio uh, accompaniment and it's the bit that tells you the time's running out. So there's all these gongs and this scary voice that says escape, escape. (laughs) <laughs> that tells you when you have to get out and uh, maybe I'll play a little bit of the action that ensued when we played Escape. Let's hear it. Oh, I got rid of it. I'm going to try and get these gems, four keys. Oh, so someone want to help me? Oh, Kira? No. Uh, I'm just having a bit of a shot. I'm trying to go back. I'm trying to go back. You guys, two keys. Yes, I, got, I, got, I, got, I got a flat. I got a flat. I got a flat. I totally knocked out. Okay, hang on. Someone help Kira. Gold. Gold. I need a gold. I need a gold. We have to go join her. Health green. I got four keys. Uh, I got four golds, but I'm nowhere near you. Only got about 20 seconds. I need another gold. I got 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 You give someone else your dice, but you're, gonna, you're So that was a little bit of us playing Escape. 
And I'm stressed out. That was frantic. Everyone really enjoyed it. That was great. And we were all part of a team. And I think we won in the end, didn't we win? We got everyone out of there on time. Yeah, I, I, I think I have more fun when you don't win. <laughs> I like getting trapped in the temple. and Or maybe one person gets out and, you know, there's a little... Someone's just like, I'm, 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 I'm locked, I'm locked. And then, and then you just hear... And the doors slam and, and, and they're Actually, alone you're right, in there. Because and, when someone gets locked in, that's when the sort of imagination really does take over because the soundtrack plays the big sort of locking doors. Mm. And then you suddenly are transported really like in your head into the temple that you have been locked in. Exactly. To what extent do you think putting yourself into a world map or sort of imagining yourself in a situation as part of the board game experience or... Is it just about the sort of the role of the dice and moving around a map and that you're very actually just in the room that you're sitting in? I think theme always makes it better, no matter what, you know, people are kind of, are kind of put off by, um, uh, getting too involved because they think they'll become LARPers, (laughs) but, but it, it, it really, I think always makes it better because you're constantly, you've, you've got a new thing to to do and you've got you you become a kind of character you you can't help it you know you yeah. uh, in the case of escape you become like indiana jones you know and and you're all running to get out of the temple or or maybe you're not indiana jones because you're incompetent you're like all <laughs> indiana jones awful students where indiana jones caught the vine to get out of the temple whereas you know we're stuck you know in the temple trying to escape like running around we can't even walk we have to use dice to move around it's yeah. ridiculous i love i love that uh the way the game kind of gives you a sense of incompetence <laughs> yes because you're constantly rolling these dice and occasionally you'll roll a dice that sort of puts that dice out of action mm. and then you have to recover by using a different dice rule or if you completely lock out all your dice you have to get a mate to come back into your room so you've got this sense of never leave a man behind and mm. that was a really important part of that game i think it, i there was a couple of people there at the party um, who I hadn't really met before or maybe had only really talked to a couple of times and we really I think became part of a team and all mm. really got to know each other through it's that game it's a very good icebreaker yeah. well, I must mention as well it's only 10 minutes to play yes each, each round is only 10 minutes but we played I think 4 something like that yeah. it got more complicated because you can introduce more rules and extra cards and different I have nice a few expansions <laughs> um, well speaking of the sort of putting yourself in the situation and like sort of imagining you're there the next game we played we were imagining we were uh, dwarfs in a mine shaft little people uh, we were little people in a mine shaft it was very snow white and the seven dwarves theme i tried to the board games that i brought i tried to get board games that weren't uh big macho man themes uh that would kind of discourage a lot of people because they'd look at it and go oh uh, nerdy yeah you know? because if i i mean the We'll talk a bit about the Game of Thrones board game in a second. Oh, but, yes, we um, will. But I, I'm i a little bit put off by fantasy and medieval-y stuff when I'm not aware of the franchise, you know? It, it just se- always seems a little bit naff. I've, I've never really been into to, to fantasy, but, you know, there's, there's things that, uh, you know, for some reason, Game of Thrones... You know, everyone, yeah. everyone could just get into it's it. Because it, it oh, I'm, I'm afraid we're going to go into Game of Thrones tangent here, but oh, it's because... We'll be careful not it, to. Uh, it sort of... Th- 
upends all of the fantasy tropes, right? Mm-hmm. The good guy doesn't always win in the end. He gets killed off at the end of the first series. But uh, back to the... the oh, that spoiler alert. Jeepers. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're too, you're too late to the game, if that was a spoiler alert. Uh, but back to game two, which was... Saboteur. Saboteur, which was we're in a mine shaft. We're trying to... Again, we're trying to get out, aren't we? No, no, no. We're trying to... We're, we're greedy dwarves. We're trying Sorry. to get... We're mining... <laughs> We're mining for, for gold. We're mining right? for gold, right? We need to find the gold. And the trick with this one is that we're not actually all on the same team. There's sort of two teams. Yeah. There's an incognito set of saboteurs mm-hmm. and they are trying to block us from getting the gold. So it's it's not dice rolling game this time. It's a card-based game. We each have a hand that allows us to build a little pathway from our, our origin point to the gold, but we're not sure where the gold actually is. So there's three possible destinations. Let's just cut to a little bit of us playing the game. Rosie, come on. Rosie, come on. Do you trust her though? Rosie, give us the goods. I don't know if I trust Rosie yet. Oh, All right. Yay. Yeah. 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 Keep on this groovy trend. Double bluff. Oh, I actually no, don't have me. one of those, but I'm going to... Oh, hold on, I didn't pick up one. Yeah. Oh, you know, if, if, if someone anymore. can double-tick Jack out... Well, who do you think is the... Do you still need a healer? Needs a pick yeah, I need a pick up. Yeah, I need a pick up a thingy. Healer. Yes, thank you. Oh, amazing. Why didn't right. you heal me? To <laughs> 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 so pick up one How many blow-ups yeah. do you have? Like, do we not have, like, three? Yeah! Oh, 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 You can blow it up. I heard one of you say earlier you had a second blow up. But that's you. Did you not win then? All I can do is breathe. No, 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 they haven't got to. You have a blow up though. Luke. Are you just hitting yourself, Michael? Here, Luke's definitely not a sub. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. I have like a success with these things. Okay, right. We need to like make a strategy. Okay, I'll score, right? Has anyone a blow up? Right, okay. What's the strategy going to be? Yeah, you guys, let's team up. Okay. Because I, I can get think, us there. What do you think we should do, Kira? I can get us there. Hold on. I, I have to. Hold on. It's my yeah. go, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm going to do this. Okay, okay nice perfect. one, Rosie. Okay. But can you blow up? I can blow up. Blow up then. Should I blow up? Yes. Okay, I'm blowing that one up. Can. Yeah, look at you. Yes. Yes, you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, go. And then John. Sweet! Yes! I was a saboteur! That game, Saboteur, was actually really funny, I thought. It was great because that's when we really saw personalities come out amongst our group and it was funny because Luke was a saboteur each time and so I feel like around the table we all just really started to distrust Luke for the rest of the evening I think because that he man was a might saboteur. be inherently evil it's <laughs> it's it's incredible it's it's a what we would call a hidden role game so okay everyone's dealt out a card and on the card it says whether you're evil or good and that's really interesting because when you have a game like Monopoly, you can choose to be evil, right? You just yeah. are horrible to everyone, right? Or risk, you just dominate everything. And that's kind of the rules. It's what you're meant to do. But with this, 
you're given a card and on that card it says be evil. Yeah. Uh, so you're just basically given license to be a manipulative little so-and-so. And it is so much fun because you're put into the position where you have to try and wreck everyone's plans. But you have to try and convince people that you're not trying to wreck their plans. I find that so interesting because you're being a social actor and we start to see who's actually good social actors in this sort of thing. It's nearly like a murder mystery party type atmosphere. And yeah, it, it, but, I, but again, it's short and there's and there's not a kind of like... Yeah, Saboteur is only like a... How long was each round? Maybe again, 10 minutes or something? Yeah, something like that. So the really accessible gameplay. Mm. The only barrier is that I feel like if me and three friends who hadn't ever played it before just got the game and got the rule books, we'd sort of be a bit, oh dear, what are we doing to start off with? It You really need someone who's played it before. I, I think s- that's the case with all board games. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time you played a b- new board game? Oh yeah, if I tried to do it with Monopoly, I wouldn't want to play it after I had read the rules. Yeah, because it... You know, a lot of those games like Monopoly and everything, there's always someone to teach you the rules. You know, that's just... But whenever you are a massive nerd and you uh, <laughs> get these board games, I, I buy them. I have to read the rules. I have to just read it in my spare time and prepare to go and teach people the rules so that they don't have the awful experience of of being blind into a game. Yeah. That was an interesting dynamic that also worked its way in because you were having to teach us the rules, but occasionally also having to be like the saboteur. And so there was this innate trust that you had built up by being the rule teacher. And then we found it really hard to then second guess you and say, oh, maybe he's actually trying to muck us up here. But yeah. even though he's teaching us the rules at the same time, so that must have been a funny position for you to be in. Yeah. So I think saboteur was really good. What it led into then was the next game, Avalon and you had structured our little series of games in a really nice way because it went from sort of the the dice rolling and the frantic cooperation of escape but into the, the, but the map building yeah um, so so escape is a game where the tiles are shuffled and you explore and you create a map which is a very satisfying thing every yeah. time you play it the board's different saboteur similarly you have to kind of mine your way so you create this tunnel network uh-huh. and it's beautiful it's like it's like making a, a, a little world in front of you, you know, um, and that's different every time. We, we then took away the sort of the map making aspect, but increased this sort of interpersonal mm. uh, relationship, second guessing with the game Avalon. Mm. Now, this was not complex, but pretty interesting. I'd say it was the most popular game of the night. I think we all loved it. Avalon is just like you're sort of a game of conversation and everyone has dealt out a secret card that tells them their rules. So some people are goodies and some people are baddies. And the goal is for the goodies to successfully uh, complete a number of missions and for the evil people to sabotage them by putting in a fail card that fails the mission. I was actually the baddie when we first played it, which was great. <laughs> you won that game. Yeah, Did the we- goodies ever win? No, the goodies lost both times. Yeah, oh and I think goodness. it was my fault that we lost the second time because I no, was, it was so my sad. Fault. Oh no, it was your fault because you were Merlin. And I Merlin's think it was my the- fault both times. Uh- <laughs> I was, I was, uh, oh, I'm, I'm not good at that game, but 
I've got to the point where I like games even if I'm not good at them because yeah. I, I love just seeing people having fun and you know I one of my the best parts of the night was whenever you all played Escape and I just watched. <laughs> <laughs> we hear we I'll play a little bit of us in mid flow of Avalon. I actually think Jack is the evil. Oh my god! Oh yeah! Mr. Whispers, Mr. Whispers, I haven't whispered anything. Like, he can really sabotage this. Everything. This is like I really thought this through. <laughs> how can we sabotage it? I'm not in it. You're sabotaging it because you're going to make people reject. Yeah, my because choice. it's not good. You're evil. You have said that from the very start. You've oh. rejected a couple of things. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But maybe I think Luke. Learning. I think Luke was innocent. Well, guys, that's um, it. The game's over. Well, why is the game <laughs> still guessing that? Why is the game over? If the mission loses, can we still not guess? I don't know win? yet. The mission's gonna win. No, because 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 uh, if if um because there's obviously oh because there's five approvals. Yeah. yeah. So the ba- the a body has approval. <laughs> <laughs> Rosie, show. One, no. So this is what we want to happen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Who was Merlin? Me. Who was Merlin? John. It was me. Was it? Yeah. It was you. Because you know what I was doing there, right? I was trying to block. Um, so, so that was us playing Avalon. Uh, my favourite game of the evening. I hadn't actually played a game like this, but it felt like drama games that I would have played in school. It, it felt like some weird uh, art events that I've been to where, where weird uh, things happen and you suddenly become a character in a situation. And I was really aware of who I was as a person and how I was behaving and trying not to give tales when I was the body. And then when I was a goodie for the second round, I was trying to be as honest as possible. And how do I present honesty? And I think we were all wrestling with those things. Because uh, it's, it's medieval it's medieval themed, but it's not really, you don't really role play like you're, you're the Knights of the Round Table. I mean, you could, but no, but that's certainly not what we did. We, we were, didn't know. We were just us talking about who of us was evil. Yes. In and a way, the, the theme was really just to have us an excuse to have success or failure. We could have equally been, the theme could have been like stock market, 1980s, New York, Wall Street. And do we succeed? Great. Yeah, that would be a good game yeah. too, right? <laughs> But it could be themed on anything. It could be themed on, I don't know, Stormont collapsing yeah, yeah, yeah. and do we succeed as a, as a party? Anything. Yeah, just, just to give you a bit of context of, of what Avalon was, if, if anyone has played Mafia or Werewolf, which are these um, games that a lot of people might have played at these kind of summer schemes or, or I don't know, church camps. groups or school or anything like this, um, it's a game where, you know, you have these goodies and baddies and, and the baddies are secret and each night the baddies kill someone. But in those games, each night someone's knocked out. So right. you have 12 people and someone gets knocked out and they they just have to sit out. So then which they start... Pants. No one which wants is to rubbish. That. So they just sit in the side and then they go... Um, oh, oh, so no, don't, don't talk because you're, you're dead. So you can't actually talk. You just have to watch it. <laughs> oh, how sad. So the, cr- the creator of Avalon wanted to make a game 
that had that amazing dynamic of the goodies and the baddies that really pulls out all these social tensions where people accuse each other of things and everything, but take away the sadness of, mm-hmm. of someone who gets knocked out. We were talking about this downtime and Avalon is, everyone's talking the whole time, constantly yeah. active. I feel really bad because I think I got a bit aggressive in the second round and I think I was accusing Rosie of being a baddie too much. I shouted and- at Kira a lot in the first round <laughs> and she was good. <laughs> And I was good. And I also felt really bad at some points because I had pinpointed Michael as the body, but I had pinpointed him correctly. He was oh, the body. Yeah. I just judged his character like as a social player quite well. But then he started hamming up this, everyone's just been judging me as a body from the start. So I can-. And then I felt really bad. Yeah, but that's because he's so cute. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think, I think that game is something I could return to and play all the time. It really appealed to my personality. And, and can I say that game is 10 pounds? Wow, okay. Is that how much a board game costs? No. Uh, I'd say board games, it's an expensive hobby. Um, and that's something to talk about. You know, um, so I brought Saboteur is about a tenner. Avalon's about a tenner. But Escape is new. Okay. Uh, 30 pounds. And that expansion I had, new, is 20 pounds. So that's 50 quid. Right. It's it's expensive. That's would that be about as much as you pay for a computer game these days? Yeah, for for you know your uh, Call of Duty, uh, or Call whatever. of Duty, or whatever, or any of those big games. Um, and you know when you look at it and you say, "What's the time I put into this?" And you know, often I think about when I when I look at a board game, I'm looking at this. It's it's big, hefty box full of all these components, and all I can think about is imagine if I had to make that, how much it would cost. Right. And there's no way I could make it at this quality at that price. And obviously there's like capitalism, like reduce the cost of everything. <laughs> and, you know, that's great and all, but I, I couldn't. You raise computer games. When video games sort of were in their infancy and uh, the, limited by computer development and what processes were capable of, it was very much sort of escapism uh, in terms of having something, a, a little goal to accomplish, like Pong, or uh, maybe trying to enter a different world in a weird way, like Space Invaders. But it wasn't; it was never really one-to-one reality. It was always quite an abstract representation of a thing. Um, whereas now we have quite <laughs> really realistic representations of things, and so it's nearly like escapism in a different way, and it's like a sublimation of things that you can't do in real life but you can experience virtually in a game so call of duty war games and we have virtual uh, reality now we have virtual reality too so that's another step and i think these were questions raised whenever the original grand theft auto game came out that it's it's the games are allowing you to do these things that you're not allowed to do in real life uh, and then there's other questions from parent teachers associations is that it's making the kids want to do it be like that's been proved wrong it's channeling certain things in a different way it's sublimating these maybe maybe people do have these urges to, for destruction but you you're you're allowed to do it through a computer game instead of smashing a plate against the wall metalers are the gentlest souls i know <laughs> but their music would say otherwise you know yeah. and uh, i think humans have a constant kind of um a really good podcast to to um look up on this matter is the first episode of invisibilia Right. Um, which is a great American podcast from NPR um, that just started its new second season. Wow, I'm advertising Invisibilia. <laughs> but it's a very good show. And they talk about thought. The first episode is about thought and 
what how thoughts matter and there's a guy who he newly married his wife and he had this thought in his head i want to kill my wife i'm going to kill my wife i'm going to kill my wife and basically he learns and he went through counseling and everything he loved his wife but he had this thought i'm going to kill my wife basically he had ocd and um often ocd people have this kind of extreme form of disgust and the thing that they disgust that that disgusts them the most often gets stuck in their head so the thing his new wife that you know was this most precious thing to him it to for her to die or for him to kill her would be the most disgusting thing to him so right. he couldn't get that thought out of his head um and but he didn't want to kill her that was just like a human thought and our heads have all these kind of capacities to to think all these weird things like what are dreams you know like <laughs> Crazy things happen in dreams. Once I once I dreamt that my friend killed Nick Cave and I buried the body. <laughs> so, you know, our minds are, are capable of, of very strange things. And uh, I think with any kind of fantasy that might talk about death or anything, I also think it's just a really good way to discuss these kind of through extremity, through yeah. extreme things that happen. In fantasy, you enact how I would cope with that situation. Yeah, and it's like play. Um, yeah, totally, We're learning totally. by practicing in a safe environment exactly. that's not real. Real life is not at stake. It's like, that's the same thing with like fetishes, like people with fetishes and stuff like that. You know, uh, I read a great book, Grayson Perry. Yeah. And he's a transvestite and his transvestism is also connected to fetishism. And so he's really into all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm as... Uh, not, you're not, a cis male. I'm vanilla. Oh, you're vanilla. <laughs> he really like normalized it and made it just, this is just something that he does or he enjoys, but it's, it's separate to reality. It doesn't affect who you are or what you do or mm-hmm. it's, it's absolutely totally normal. And all these things that like the fetish is, it's the same as someone playing a computer game. It's, it's enacting a fantasy. Uh, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's great. Jack, there's nothing wrong with your board game fetish, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I just love board games. Uh, Well, is there anything you want to hit before we sign off this evening? I, of course, wanted to mention that we, in the background of all the games that we played tonight, we had an audio element. We did, yeah. And I'm not sure how well the microphone picked it up, but obviously for Escape, we had the actual supplied soundtrack that comes with that board game that tells you the timing of the game. But when we played Saboteur, we had a lovely cave dripping yes. kind of like marble arch caves in Enniskillen mm, we, exactly. we, we, and the audio transported us there it was great it's it's so wonderful because it, it focuses you it, it gets everyone close in you can really feel like you're in, in another place and I really really enjoy playing audio when playing a board game well maybe what would make Monopoly better would be to have some sort of high flying city soundscape <laughs> yeah the sound of the the, um, the, the stock market you know I sell 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 or the sound of the crash (laughs) maybe that's why our big wigs our one percent are so fast and loose with the cash and how we've ended up with all these crazy economic situations because they learn to play on high risk but low stakes gaming environments do you know the story of monopoly no it's a fascinating story monopoly was invented by a woman and it was a um satire of capitalism. Right. It was about trying to um, show people how 
futile everything was. You go to jail for nothing. You know, this is the only place that you can stop on and not pay rent. Free parking. And, right. And, uh, and a guy stole the idea and made Monopoly and copyrighted it. <gasps> and he... Sorry, Elizabeth McGee was the original. Elizabeth and McGee. she invented the Landlord's Game. That was a precursor to Monopoly. Yeah, according to Wikipedia. And the what was the guy who who took stole the idea? Charles Darrow. Charles Darrow. Yeah, he stole the idea of her and and turned it into what it is now, which is a kind of capitalist fantasy game. So what was originally a (laughs) A anti-capitalist satire actually became what it was satir- uh, satirizing, which is it's kind of fascinating. That's but it so was funny. a total phenomenon, Monopoly. And it still is. It's it's the most high, it's the highest selling board game. Well, can I encourage all listeners to just uh, do a quick internet search for the Landlord's game? There's a Wikipedia page for it and it has the original board. It looks really cool. Interesting. 19- patented January 5th, 1904. Wow. But the other thing that we were going to talk about is um, that game, Catan, that, that kind of got me... I played Catan and was like, oh, this is so incredibly designed. Wow. Mm. It's so, it does so much. It's so little. And, you know, it has this shuffling board, clearly my obsession. So the board's different every time. And and when I lived in London, I met uh, a very good friend of mine, Sheru, um, who uh, is a computer game designer. And oh. He was working in a bank at the time. And he invited me over to his, his house on Abbey Road. And he said, uh... Yeah, I've got this game, Game of Thrones, and back then I I hated Game of Thrones. I I, I thought it was I I watched the first episode of Game of Thrones and I thought it was disgusting. <laughs> oh, Jack, and you're such a prude. Just yeah, I am a prude. <laughs> oh my god, if anyone knows me, I am a prude. But um, I thought it was just gross, and I didn't understand why. Like the first episode of Game of Thrones is gross, but he said, "Oh, there's a, this board game of it, and it's really good." And I was like, "It." Blew my little Northern Irish mind. <laughs> so I brought the game along for John to have a look I've at. I've inspected the box and if you've been listening to the podcast, I don't think I've actually raised my Game of Thrones fandom, but this year I have got so into it. I've started listening to podcasts about it. You can actually um, read my recommendations for Game of Thrones podcasts on podcastni.com. They got me to do a little (laughs) list of the podcasts I like. And there's obviously my... So how many do you listen to? Well, I would listen to basketball podcasts produced by ESPN and The Ringer. And then I'd listen to some of their pop culture podcasts as well. But they put me on to Game of Thrones and got me hooked on that. There's a podcast called The Watch. And last year... They had one specifically for Game of Thrones called Watch the Thrones, which was a great pun on Kanye West and Jay-Z's album title. That's one of my favourite albums. <laughs> Fantastic. I've also then started listening to the Guardian Citadel podcast and there's a History of Westeros podcast as well. So check them all out. They're great. And also check out podcastsni.com because they're doing good work trying to promote local podcasts as well. So go them. So I've become massively into fan theories. I'm so hooked on trying to work out who John's true parents are. I am really excited to see the final episode of the season after that crazy penultimate oh my episode. goodness. Okay, so spoiler alert, spoiler alert, this is going out on air after the final finale of Game of Thrones has been screened, but me and Jack are currently unaware of what's going to happen in the fa- finale. We have just seen the penultimate episode, which is called Battle of the B-Words, and... It was crazy. It was it like was all your very exciting. all the payoffs that you wanted. The 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 big body died. Spoiler alert! 
and uh, the goodies got their way and Daenerys, the dragon queen, is suddenly assimilating her big army. Oh yeah, I, which I'm unhappy about. Can I just say? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, because if she's assimilating, that means it's going to end. And also those dragons just just won, right? Okay, and I am not, Game of Thrones is not a thing where you can just win, you know? That's what creeped me out a bit about that episode because if we've learned anything from Game of Thrones, there's never just a true happy ending. And that episode, too many good things happened and not enough bad things happened. Mm. They tried to offset the good stuff by killing off Recon Stark, but they didn't... We hadn't invested enough in him to really care about him. He was always the the worst Stark. It was a very, uh, very well done scene, though. It was so well timed. It was... It was very beautiful and, um, you know, just the cinematography in that episode was incredible. It was a really good piece of filmmaking, I sure. thought, just in general. They but, submitted that episode to the Emmys nomination. Oh, so, really? Yeah, I think even people going into that knew that, so they knew it was going to be a massive episode with amazing scenes and these big battle sequences. Very good acting. The The guy who acts Ramsey, I don't, I don't know his name, but he... I, I think he's been one of the highlights of the show. You know what I loved, loved about that episode was that it was, you're right, it was very well acted and the script was concise to the point, no spare parts. What what it seemed to have happened a couple of episodes this season, maybe it was three and seven or eight, there was some dodgy dialogue, which you don't usually get in Game of Thrones. Well, you see, I would say Game of Thrones isn't, you know, kingdom of the incredible actors. You know, it's <laughs> it's it, not not everyone is an amazing actor, Kent Harrington. Uh, <laughs> you mean Jon Snow? What? He was a great actor in this episode. He did what he needed to do. Yeah, he 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 did it very well, and it was it was really great. Did did the Tullys did they did, did they get to go away from River Run? <laughs> we don't know what happened to them. That I was a bit know. of a, a red also, herring. Also, I, I was trying the whole time. I was looking at the at the the blackfish. I was like, "Where is he from?" But he's the guy in Spaced, who's the comic book. <gasps> yeah, Blackfish is the evil comic book. Exactly, boss he's like, "Wow, oh, what's he called?" Tim Beasley. <laughs> ah, ha, is he the guy that does those comic strips? <laughs> uh, uh, incredibly bizarre character in space. That's the only thing, other thing he's been in. Wow, I think my brain has exploded. Mm. Uh, I think my our listeners' brains have probably exploded exactly, by exactly. now. Exactly. Uh, you know what? I don't think we can talk anymore about Game of Thrones because we haven't seen the final episode. We haven't seen the final we're episode. We're gonna have to do a re Exactly. We're gonna have to do a follow up Game of Thrones podcast. We're gonna have to do a follow up Beatles podcast. Jack, it's been an absolute pleasure having you this evening. I've had a great time. <laughs> And uh, and John, did you have a great time playing board games? I really did. I went along with an open mind and that paid off. Everyone, go out, buy Avalon, have a great time. <laughs> Always play it in candlelight, that's a rule. And have a great time. Cool. Jack, thanks for doing this. Thank and, you, And uh, if people want to like follow you on Twitter or anything or on Instagram. I don't have any of those things. <laughs> so they'll literally have to keep an eye out for you in Brewbot because that's the board game Exactly, exactly. If anyone, if anyone sees... A guy with glasses and a beard in Brewbot. Everyone in Brewbot. Come up and say, oh, do you want to play a board game? Because everyone wants to make friends and play board games. Okay, Jack, 
let's get out of here. I'll maybe play one last clip of us shouting at each other playing board games to close out the show. Brilliant. Uh, this has been The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy. We'll be back next week with another very special guest. But tonight has been Jack Hughes telling us all about board games and this was us going crazy at the weekend. Night, night. Cards are on the table. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>